And I'm Alana. And we're making menches. Welcome to Not Your Bubby's Torah School, where we talk all things Jewish that we wish we had learned about in Torah School. We are talking about today Baal Tashit. And that is the Hebrew term for do not destroy. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the background of Baal Tashit? Sure. So... Uh, just want to highlight today's topic is the last in our July series of Jewish values and ethics that sort of support and promote anti-Zionism um, and our August series that we are super excited about and have been working super hard on uh, obviously starts off next Thursday. It's going to be sort of like an interview, like more like conversation series with fellow anti-Zionist Jews from all different backgrounds and paths in life. So look forward to that. I'm really excited about that. And I'm excited to bring on our first guest next Thursday. But today we're talking about Baal Tashit, which I'm really excited about actually, because yeah, I don't know. I've been excited about this one and some of the articles that we've had for this. Um, we've had sort of waiting to use for something for a long time. Um, and so Baltashit is a, I never, I'm always just like hoping that I'm doing pronunciation right, but pronunciation is hard. Um, comes from Deuteronomy. The value comes from Deuteronomy. And it's basically this like sort of confusing passage in Deuteronomy that the core of it is like, you should not destroy. It says something along the lines of you should not destroy during times of warfare, like um, unnecessary destruction or violence. But like the way it's been interpreted and expanded upon has sort of come to mean no destruction, no unnecessary destruction whatsoever. And the way that it's most often mentioned and interpreted is around destruction of the natural world. So the passage that it comes from talks about senseless destruction of fruit trees specifically and talking about how, you know, fruit trees should not be destroyed because they provide so much to us like they nourish us with the fruit that they provide and all the other things that trees provide like oxygen and shade and lumber when they're not able to grow anymore and all of those incredible things and this feels like it really follows in like a long Jewish theme of really caring about nature and the earth and trees specifically. I think of Tu B'Shvat, my favorite Jewish holiday, which is all about celebrating the trees. And Baal feels like it really sort of like falls in line with that idea. What do you think, Jesse? Yeah, 100%. I love the, there's like right in that Deuteronomy passage that you're referring to where they say something like, like, are the trees human like can the trees run from the battlefield like no so you can't destroy them and I was like <gasps> like yes because like they're they're not making choices to be involved in the wars that are in the Torah right and like the the fruit trees provide for us so don't take them down I just yeah I like the idea of like we 
we are responsible to the natural world, not like the natural world is here for us to mm-hmm. do with what we want. So. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that it starts with trees because I feel like everything Jewish starts with trees, but very much like the Talmud interpretations have been like, just generally don't be wasteful when it comes to anything that we own on this earth or have on this earth because what do we really own but like natural resources specifically so not wasting like water or oil or like unnecessarily killing animals um and yeah I think that's really an important concept that we do see a lot of like Jewish folks press as a Jewish value this idea of like preserving the earth and not being wasteful and sustainability um and I feel like there are literally countless Jewish holidays that are sort of centered around this um and so how does this relate to anti-Zionism um where to begin um (laughs) I think the most obvious connection that Jesse and I identified um and has like long been a discussion we've been wanting to have is this idea of like climate destruction being used as a weapon or tool of violence against Palestinian civilians and the idea that Palestinian liberation is climate justice and that if we care about climate justice and we care so much about making sure we're preserving our natural world Um, then we must be fighting for Palestinian liberation because of how aggressively the Israeli military and government focuses on destruction of land and like natural land specifically as an attack on Palestinian life and livelihood and culture. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is like a perfect place to start that like colonization and colonialism is directly antithetical to this mitzvot. So any colonial project in the name of Judaism is violating this mitzvot. Oh. <laughs> so it's making me think of the things we've talked about with the JNF as well, which we will probably get into later. I'm probably getting ahead of it. But um, the idea that yeah, uh, I'll wait. I'll wait for that part. But I want to, yeah, I want to hear what you would like to go into next. Yeah, so that we have a ton of really good resources this week, um, specifically on like climate justice being sort of a driving force of Palestinian liberation. So if you're interested in those, you should sign up for our newsletter that Jesse creates because all of our sources will be there. Um. But I just wanted to highlight a few different ways that we see sort of climate destruction play out through Israeli violence. Um, When we're thinking about access to water, there is a ton of dumping of sewage and wastewater into Palestinian valleys by Israeli settlements. So contaminating their water, also leading to more flooding and while contaminating the water, also like preventing access to wastewater treatment. So not like treating water to make sure it's clean. 
Um, I have a quote here from an article in our sources that says, as of 2019, 97% of the fresh water in Gaza was unsuitable for humans to drink, either too saline or contaminated by waste. As of 2011, 26% of all childhood diseases in Gaza were waterborne. And these diseases were the leading cause of child deaths. Um, that's literally over a quarter of the population of children in Gaza, which feels ridiculous. Um, and I think it's important to highlight these things because like these are deaths that I don't think are always associated with like wartime deaths or like, yeah, like that middle military deaths because they're not like enacted by another person, but they are the direct result of the violence that is associated mm -hmm. with colonization. And so that is the same type of violence that we're seeing from the Israeli military is just like being enacted through another route. Um, also limiting the, their ability to build certain infrastructure like reservoirs um, makes Palestinians more vulnerable to other climate disasters. So for, that's first and foremost. And that is like the briefest overview I can give on water. So that's like a very natural element that actively the Israeli government, even civilians are contaminating and therefore destroying for Palestinians who are then unable to have access to clean water. And I think we've actually talked about access to clean water um, in relation to Judaism and Jewish values on the podcast, or the podcast before. I can't remember when. I'd have to look back at that. Um, there's also the idea that Palestinians are sort of denied access to green resources. So when we're talking about um, not being wasteful and wanting to pursue sort of more environmentally friendly techniques like, you know, solar energy or other green technology, which Israel often uses to sort of like, so yeah, this article says paint itself as a champion of environmentalism to the rest of the world. Um, the same way that pink washing works is sort of like greenwashing. Um, Israel is actively denying Palestinians the ability to build new solar energy structures or other green, quote unquote, infrastructure. So even though this isn't direct destruction, it's sort of connected to this idea of not being wasteful and not sort of, um, yeah, hurting the environment in ways that we don't need to. So like by preventing Palestinian access to these green technologies, there's active perpetuation of environmental harm that doesn't have to exist. Um, and then I think we wanted to move on to olive trees because that's a really big one and it's super directly related to the idea of not destroying trees unnecessarily, which I think sort of ties into the JNS conversation, right? Yeah, totally. Um, so I have a few different stats, um, yeah, go but for I want to, I want to highlight that for people who don't know, um, olive trees specifically are really, really important to Palestinians. It's really a very central part of their culture and, um, it's a really central part also of how they make money because a lot of Palestinian land is like 
um, olive, what would it be, like an olive field, farm? Like a row, lot of Pal- yeah. Row, yeah. A lot of Palestinian farmers are olive farmers specifically, and there's a lot of significance associated with the olive harvest, um, right, both in the cultural way and in just simply access to money and livelihood way. And so something that has been continually done by the Israeli government and military in the last, really since the inception of Israel, um, is this destruction and uprooting of olive trees. So I have a quote from another article that notes that over 800,000 Palestinian olive trees have been uprooted by the Israeli authorities and settlers since 1967. And in 2012, there were two different reports that found that violent Israeli settler attacks against Palestinians, especially targeted farmers. And so there are just all of these statistics on how many, like hundreds of thousands of olive trees have been destroyed by Israeli settlers and government. And this is like intentional. This is coming from a place of wanting to destroy livelihood um, and a place of not caring about Palestinian culture. Um, Yeah, and community and connection. And so this is such like an active and like salient example, I feel like, of do not destroy and like destruction like real like massive destruction of a part of the natural world that typically Jews tend to really like emphasize as being super important to us like trees um but yet we've actively been destroying arguably the most important tree to Palestinians since the settler colonial project of Israel began yes there's a fantastic resource we have too that speaks on how the destruction the intentional destruction of olive groves and olive trees and the olive industry is comparable to the intentional destruction of the american buffalo to indigenous Mm -hmm. americans and i think that's a really interesting comparison because this is not a unique jewish issue about like founding a homeland this is a function of colonization and this is a function of what happens when you try to ethnically cleanse the people Sorry, continue. I'm I'm learning so much. I'm listening. <laughs> no, no, no. I I wanted you to jump in with any any. Oh, oh yeah. That you had. Yeah, that's a good and place. This is this. my my. I feel like I am very personally like angry about this JNF issue because I have was definitely like a kid that really thought planting trees in Israel was like a good <laughs> thing. So it's still just it's one of my personal vendettas, but. The JNF is responsible for completely raising and destroying Palestinian villages to plant trees on top of under this myth that Israel is making the desert bloom and we are bringing life to a land that had no life when we're destroying Palestinian farms and villages and ways of life to put European trees in the middle of Palestine like it is the most evil nonsensical colonial practice to literally destroy the existing environment and the people in it in order to plant your own trees literally on their land so um that's another myth about the the forests 
that Israel has revived and, you know, like helped plant more trees. Yes, technically, but they have <laughs> destroyed so many trees and so much natural biodiversity in order to plant their own trees that are somehow better than the olive trees that were there. So um, that is just personal <laughs> anger at the JNF, but also uh, there's the Stop J the JNF campaign that we have linked in our resources if you are also personally angry about being lied to about planting trees in Israel. So. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. For those of you who don't know, JNF is Jewish National Fund. Um, yes. And right, has has long functioned under this guise of like, again, like Judaism, a Jewish value being like planting trees and loving the environment and nature, but yet like this is happening. This is happening as a product of destroying the environment and nature. Yeah. Um, which yes. just feels like so incredibly antithetical to the same values that I would assume a lot of these organizations would use to justify their actions, when in reality, it's just like such an incredibly gross misinterpretation of Jewish values, um, when you actually look at what is really happening. Um, and I think especially like if you're someone who can recognize the importance of indigenous rights and land back on Turtle Island in the United States where we live, um, you should be able to recognize the parallels of that in Palestine as well. Um, so for those of you who are far enough ahead on your sort of radical journeys where that is a place that you can get to, then I, I encourage and urge you to look into like the land back element of like the right of return that is associated with Palestinian justice and liberation. Um, the final thing I want to highlight before we end is if we're talking about do, do not destroy Baal Tashit at, at like a very obvious level, this idea of do not destroy can be like linked to demolition of Palestinian property and destruction of Palestinian homes, entire villages, lives <laughs> like this whole time we've been like do not destroy because in the torah the way it's talked about it's talking about the natural world not being wasteful with the natural world but at a very basic level like not destroying civilian lot not destroying anyone <laughs> but like we're talking about literal civilians who are not involved in a military conflict and something that israel has done since the very beginning of their genocide is actively destroy homes and villages and and move Palestinian civilians to settlements or just kill them entirely. Um, there's an estimation that was done by the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, which is actually, I don't know if, enough about it, but it looks pretty cool because it's actually an Israeli organization that is like well, obviously, like against house demolitions and seems to be doing some research and work around like Palestinian rights. So I can't promo that because I don't know enough about it. But something to look into. They estimated that Israel has destroyed 49,532 Palestinian structures as of 2019. Um, and Israel has been around for 75 years. Is that right? 
Yeah-ish. What year is it? <laughs> this is 2022. 2022. So that is 70. Yeah, I'll trust your... What's 1948? What's 20... 2000... <laughs> 2022, what's 1948? Yeah. 74 years. 74 okay. years. Great. So to put that into perspective, I just want to do some quick little math. Um... If we can divide that massive number of 49,532, um, and I'm doing this on a calculator because that's an insane number. Yeah, we're not a math podcast, so. <laughs> we're not, and we've never claimed to be. How do I please? Okay, 49,532 divided by... Very hard to use my thought. That's really faster. <laughs> okay, that's approximately six hundred and seventy structures per year that Israel has existed as a state, um, and I'm sure that that's also like an underestimation because there are so many things that are not tracked and like we cannot keep yeah. track of. Um, but to put that into more context, that's like two structures being destroyed every single day of every single year since the inception of Israel as a state. So if when we're talking about do not destroy, there's no way that that can't be like an, an <laughs> even in a wartime situation, if that is an excuse that someone is to make, that feels like what's the word that I'm looking for? Like an extreme that feels like too many to even be justifiable in any way. If we're talking about approximately two structures every single day for 74 years, like that's, that's why when we talk about Israel, we need to talk about it as an apartheid or as a genocide or as ethnic cleansing, because when we really put these numbers into perspective, like this is literally like ongoing violence against an entire group of people for 74 years yeah. plus because 74 was just when it was like official yeah. but like the the colonization of Palestinian land started before that yeah yeah I think this is my last thing in the world but like uh there's a lot of times people will push back like why does Israel get criticized for things that other countries don't and the answer is that nobody is not criticizing other countries for doing it right like we are just as critical of american destruction of everything that we are currently destroying <laughs> in the world but it's a lot more socially lot. acceptable to talk about that and so we think that israel should be held accountable just as every other nation that's destroying the environment but also understanding that this is an ongoing act of genocide so there's there's a need for more criticism in case anybody was experiencing that pushback internally. Yeah, thank you for highlighting that. I also think that, like, <laughs> we talked about this maybe last episode or a few episodes ago. Like, there are plenty of things to critique about any of the nation states that exist in the world because inherently there is a ton of, like, evil and violence associated with that. And any, like, product of settler colonialization is violent and evil. The one that we are highlighting is the one that we are most related to and the one that our religion and culture is like 
weaponized against or weaponized to justify hence like our drive to sort of push back against it um yeah so to summarize ball to sheet do not destroy colonization is active destruction at every turn but especially when we're talking about israeli destruction of palestinian land specifically like natural elements like water and trees and also just demolition of their homes and we have a ton of sources that sort of go far deeper into any of this and give more details than jesse and i have time for in the length that we want to keep these episodes at um that sort of concludes our Jewish values that promote anti-Zionism series. We do have some other values that we were sort of toying with talking about that we didn't get to, and maybe we'll bring back the series at some point, but just to highlight a few, Kavod, which is respect, Lador Vador, which is connecting generations, Zahor, which is Jewish memory, Vitzelem Elohim, which is the fact that we're all created in God's image, which is responsibility, um, and kavod habriot, which is human dignity. So lots of things to think about. If maybe you're interested in another Jewish values and ethics and principles series, let us know and we can flesh out some of those um, in the future. Um, just want to shout out Nate Neighbored on Instagram for our awesome and super fun and professional podcast music if you're listening to this in a podcast format. And we are super, super excited for our August series where we're going to be interviewing all of these wonderful and incredible people. And I can't wait for y'all to listen and find out who they are. Awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> okay see y'all next week for our first conversation episode um make sure to check out our instagram throughout the week for some updates on who that will be with yeah. bye bye